Welcome to Reading Between the Reels. I'm Matt Leader. And I'm Craig Dickinson. Today on the show, we are looking at Jurassic Park, the original film from 1993. So Matt, Jurassic Park, what are your overall thoughts? Uh, the Jurassic Park franchise is something that's always been kind of close to my heart. I mean, these are movies that I kind of grew up watching. Uh, one, like the original, uh, what we're talking about today, even uh, two and three, I en- enjoy. I think two is actually like a very good film. Um, I think it's The Lost World. And then Jurassic Park 3 I is not as good, but I think it's a fun movie. And um, so like all, all of these movies, and I, I even uh, like the newest ones, um, I, I, they fall more into that uh, category for uh, Jurassic Park number three, which is just like, it's a fun film. Um, I, you know, we're not really talking about the new ones, but I think it's gotten quite a bit out there with like Chris Pratt, like training the Velociraptors <laughs> to be pets. Um, and I think that that actually in some ways kind of spits in the face a little bit of the message of the original, uh, which, you know, thematically, I think is very much like nature is its own beast. Like you cannot tame nature the way that you, you know, plan to. And the original is, is very rich in that like message department, like thematically, uh, visually, I think it's stunning still in a way in the visual effects department where the dinosaurs stand up amongst even modern films, modern depictions, I think of the dinosaurs or, or other effects, uh, which is you know pretty amazing for a film that's that's as old as as it is, um, but I think it's the characters, the character work, um, the direction by Spielberg is flawless in my opinion, and um, yeah, I, I think it's fantastic. I mean, for me, this is is you know up there with just personally, I think it's close to a perfect film as you can kind of get. Yeah, I like that. I I remember, I mean, I saw this when I was in high school. I'm quite a bit older than you. I saw it in the theater, and uh, I remember being a little bit let down by it. I like the special effects, but the story didn't really grab me. But I just feel like it's gotten better with age. I feel like it's really aged well. You know, it, we talked about the the CGI. It was very groundbreaking CGI at the time. I think we maybe we'd had, you know, Terminator 2 and The Abyss, a couple of James Cameron films that really kind of made use of, of CGI this heavily. And then, of course, there's a lot of uh, practical effects in this as well. And you can't really tell the difference. Which is which, they, yeah. Which is which, which is fantastic. And, you know, I know a lot of the the criticism of the film was in the performances, which I find incredibly ironic because I think that the performances are great. You know, Spielberg is a master of letting us kind of fill in the gaps of what it is. And we're getting, you know, the characters' faces first before we see anything. I mean, think about the Raptors specifically. You don't see them the first couple of times they're in the film. You don't see them at all. You might see an eyeball or whatnot of, of the creature, but really what you're seeing is reaction shots of the mm-hmm. characters. And that's what brings you in. Yeah. You know, it's a lot, you know, thematically mentioned, you know, it's a lot like Jaws in that way mm-hmm. that you don't see a whole lot. And it's, it's kind of ironic that, you know, Spielberg actually, I saw a quote. He said he was trying to make a good sequel to Jaws on land. I was like, yeah, it really does fit Very in a lot of ways so. yeah. uh, in that. And so, you know, I think it's it's a beautiful film. It's the sound is amazing. 
you know, we'll get into that as we, as we get into it. And this is one of the, I think the first digitally digital sound film. Um, so it's groundbreaking in so many ways. And I just think like, because they, they put it together so well and they spent, it's kind of ironic. You know, I was just thinking of John Hammond's line, you know, spared no expense. Um, they spent clearly a lot of money, but they spent a lot of time and were very deliberate in the way they put this together. And so that it really does, I think, still hold up very, very well. Oh yeah, totally. And, you know, uh, jumping like right into it, you know, talking about uh, Spielberg and, and kind of like what he's trying to do, you know, it struck me, uh, not the opening scene, but the moment when the, the kind of main characters are coming down onto the island and the helicopter for the first time. And um, Alan Grant has that moment where he's trying to buckle his seatbelt and he can't because he's got the two like female ends and he's like, it's not there. And I, it kind of struck me where it's like, that's actually like, he's already building character because just the camera is kind of panning around and you see how everyone reacts to a relatively small problem. And uh, Ellie is like trying to help him. She's like, you know, reaching around, trying to grab like other things. Uh, Hammond is uh, there who's like telling him, trying to direct, you know, he's trying to be helpful. Um, Ian, Ian Malcolm is is sitting in the back giggling. Uh, the the lawyer, what's his name? Gennaro, I think. Gennaro, I think it might be Gennaro, yeah. Uh, is just kind of like sitting there, like watching, just, you know, not doing anything. But it's like, even just like that little moment. Uh, and then if, uh, Alan Grant like solves it by like twisting the knot and like just tying it down, you know, a little bit of ingenuity. Just little things like that already start to... Uh, like show little bits of character uh, and like a, like a really small thing that could be kind of a throwaway and, and could kind of pass, you know, with no, as just like a, a sequence where it's like, you're going from point A to point B. And instead, you know, you're trying to inject a little bit of story, uh, a little bit of character into those moments. And like, to me, that's a sign of like great storytelling. Yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, this is one of the films that I show in my film class for uh, to demonstrate how good the composition is mm-hmm. because things are so deliberately set up. I mean, obviously, one of the, the big shots is, you know, the, just the dinosaur's foot in that left hand side of the, of the screen it basically fills the entire shot. And we yeah. talk about, you know, the most important thing is the biggest thing. Like, what's the most important thing? It's clearly that shot. And it's such a dynamic and amazing shot that, and, you know, when he, when the T-Rex comes down into the Jeep and it's basically just jaws filling the most the top half of the screen mm-hmm. and the kids, most of the time the camera is really close to the dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. There's only a few times where you get these kind of wide, wide shots. We've like first time we see the Brachiosaur and right. like the, the Gallimimus, I think are about the only other times where it's not right up in it. And I think like it's the like very end with the T-Rex very yeah. end. Yeah. Yeah. But for the most part, it is up close and personal with the dinosaurs, which, again, they like to have the confidence in your CGI that it's going to, you know, hold, hold up. up. Yeah. The audience is going to look at that and go, well, that looks fake. doesn't mm-hmm. fall into the uncanny valley. There's also a lot of moments, you know, as far as like camera, like uh, direction. There's a lot where we talk about uh, low camera angle, high camera angle, denoting like power. Um, one of my favorite examples is when the two kids are in the kitchen running away. And I think there's two Velociraptors 
not only is there some good composition, and one thing I like point out is like when you're watching that scene, it creates a sort of tension just through the visual of it because you can see the danger. You can see the kids, the way the camera is placed. You can see like everything. You can see, you don't have to move. You don't have to cut. You don't have to do anything. The audience can watch the actors in the bottom right hand corner and the velociraptors in the top left. And you can see them like kind of crossing, you know, and like that right there is building tension just through the placement of the camera where you can see what's going on. But then also you get moments where the camera will look down on the kids and look up at the velociraptors. And it's very, very clear from a visual language standpoint about like the dinosaurs have all the power. The kids are just trying to like scrape by. And so like, and there's there's other moments throughout the, the film of this, but it's like a really good, this movie is a very good example of using cinematography that's not, I, I personally would say it's not super flashy. It's not like go out and grab your attention. It's more subtle, but it is doing everything that we talk about with camera placement, with composition, with movement to show those things, to tell that story. Um, which I think is, is to me, it's kind of the sign of a master at work. You know, you can use the visual language without drawing too much attention to it. Yeah. And intermix with that too, you have some great close-ups too. I was thinking in that scene, you have the the shot of the raptor claw mm-hmm. just to kind of reemphasize how dangerous they are and what, you know, what they're in for. And of course that the, the shot of the ripples in the glass of water. Yeah. <laughs> no. and that's that's also a great use of prop right yeah and it reminded me immediately of the uh floating barrels from jaws of using mm-hmm. using like some inanimate ordinary object as like a signal for fear and i was like it 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 works so good it's yeah. it's it's great yeah so just mixing up those those things and it's not like you said it's not really flashy but there are it's it's because they don't overuse it mm-hmm. that things like that shot of the raptor claw or or the water or the extreme close up on Samuel Jackson's cigarette but, mm-hmm. right just to, and it, the super long ash too that you're just holding that tension uh, is just masterfully done. One, it just makes me think of like Marvel's Avengers. There's one moment that we both use where all the Avengers are are on the air carrier and they're all arguing. And the camera starts to pull in and twist like upside down as like the team is getting twisted. And I, I love that shot, but that that is a very look at me, look what I'm doing, you know, mm-hmm. kind of thing. And I feel like there's nothing that's quite like that in the, in the movie. To me, it feels more subtle, uh, but it's it's very clearly there, which I think is is really nice. Yeah, I also wanted to point out a couple of things I noticed color-wise. I mean, anytime we're talking about Spielberg, we're probably going to mention like the shadows and, and light. And, you know, we have that at the beginning with, with the raptor in the cage right before that guy gets killed. And right. you also have it when Muldoon's being hunted and he's kind of half in shadow and that just kind of adds to uh, the mysterious Same with uh, kind of Ellie when she's turning the power on. Yep. It's just kind of half and half. You can't see enough. Right? Yeah. Just, just that little bit. Uh, and then also, you know, contrasting that with the bright candy colored Jeeps and all the merchandise where it's kind of like, no, look, this is totally safe. Everything's fine. Yeah. 
It's so not. Right. That's the way it's marketed. But I also think it's like, it's also super brilliant to have the park not quite open yet. Because for a first film, I should say, because Mm -hmm. like they go through that whole presentation with the dino DNA. And like, I was thinking about that this time where it's like, that's just like a pure exposition dump. That's just like, hey, here's how this happens, right? But they kind of cloak it in this like facade of, well, here's, you know, you're going on this tour, you're seeing how the park is safe, which also kind of creates this tension within the group because they're trying to decide, is this park actually safe? You got the lawyer, you've got, you know, Malcolm, who's the mathematician, chaos magician, and you've got the two scientists. And then, of course, uh, Richard Hammond, right? And, like, they all have, like, different expertises and different perspectives. And, like, it's just interesting how, like, um, just taking Alan Grant, when he gets to the park and he sees the the brontosaurus or whatever for the first time. And, you know, um, Spielberg has that great shot where the actors have that wonder on their face. Mm-hmm. And the camera just kind of lingers on them just for a moment. And you can see the expression that they have, the amazement, the the wonder, the happiness. And he goes from that, right? And it develops and it changes. And then I think that, the, like, it's just such an interesting setup that the movie has of having someone, like, he could never in a million years imagine meeting a, a real-life dinosaur. And then that dream comes true. And then that dream becomes a nightmare, you know, and there's like that, that progression for the characters. Awesome. A- anything else you want to talk about in cinematography before we talk about the sound? The uh, only thing I wanted to mention is I, I found one shot, like particularly interesting that I never thought about before when they go to the Raptor pen and they feed the, uh, the cow or the steer, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, but then when the they're like showing, they actually show like kind of the perspective from inside the cage, which I thought was kind of interesting. And I think it's just so you can see the characters' reactions. But then they just have like brush and they just shake it in front of the camera. And like, I could imagine like extra, you know, not extras, but like crew just sure. standing on the side going, waving the things around as fast as they could. And then it's like, that's the shot. <laughs> and it, yeah. it it would seem so silly, but it actually works. And I think that's the context of the shot, right? You know what's kind of happening. It's scary and gruesome without being like gory, if that makes sense. It does. And so like, I just, I was like, that's just kind of an interesting way to shoot that. Like, I never would have thought about that. And it, it just kind of felt, falls into the background most of the time when I see this movie. But it does lead me into the sound because I think the Velociraptors, the sounds they make are incredibly terrifying. And the sound of the T-Rex is ferocious. It is, it's pretty amazing and pretty iconic, I think, at this point, uh, the sounds that they make. Yeah, I had... Uh... The, the raptor scream it almost sounds mechanical to me. Yeah. But it's not. It's, you know, that and the T-Rex are both mixes of, of natural sounds just blended together. So there's, you know, a little bit where you, it feels familiar. You can almost place it. I think the raptor scream has some like dolphin in it and some other things that you're like, 
this just feels authentic because I've heard these sounds before, just not in this combination. Right. No, I totally get that because it does, it feels like an animal sound. Mm-hmm. Just not like any animal that you like have heard before. And that's, it's kind of very, I, I think very similar to Star Wars in a sense, the sound effects, they feel familiar, even though they're not necessarily. Yeah. Between that and then I had just, you know, the thumping of the foot coming down. That yeah. just, which pairs nicely with, of course, that shot of the water glass. <laughs> You know, you don't see, and you you hear it way before you see it. Yeah, you know, it's almost like this movie. You could get away with not even showing the dinosaurs, just between the characters' reactions and first-person shots of the, of the dinos. It almost would work. There's so much of that that's mm-hmm. it's already terrifying. You know, and I was thinking, uh, have you read the book? Have you read Jurassic Park the novel? Yeah, yeah, I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, if it was to be a straight-up adaption, uh, it'd probably be an R-rated film. <laughs> Uh, and so, yeah, very hard are <laughs> right because it's super violent. <laughs> it is, yes. Um, and so, I was thinking as you were talking about, you know, the the um, velociraptor yeah. eating the eating the cow. Like we don't see that, and right. so our imagination fills, you in, know, the fills in those gaps. Yeah. Fills in the gaps, and so if we if we were to show that, well, there would you know, it'd be easy to show all that stuff, and yes. then you're just not getting away with a PG thirteen rating. Mm-hmm. So, well, and I and I think that's <clears throat> that restraint there. I think works to the benefit of the fear factor, just like with Jaws. I mean, it's the same idea, right? You don't really see Jaws for quite a while. You hear his motif. You hear kind of obviously like the, you know, water splashing, people screaming, things like that. But you don't see Jaws until much later in the film. And it's very similar to this where it's like they're clearly doing the same thing with the T-Rex. They had the goat out there. Everyone's waiting. And it's like you're building some of the expectations, some of the tension, while at the same time, also it's feeding that tension within the narrative because Hammond and the people um, in the, you know, command center are like, this sucks. (laughs) The tour is not working. There's no tour. And they haven't seen any dinosaurs. And so it's like there's different levels of like plot and tension being built. And that's, that's where I'm like, it's so good. There's, there's just, there's a lot to talk about. Yeah. You, you mentioned motif and there's, there's a couple of light motifs mm-hmm. um, in, in this film. Uh, there's the journey to the Island song, which they my play favorite. when they approach. Yeah. I love that. When they're approaching the Island is again the first time you hear it uh, in the helicopter. You also hear it when they come into the park mm-hmm. the first time and the gate big doors open. Uh, and then you hear it at the end when the T-Rex comes in and saves them from the raptors. I'm sure there's a few other times, but those are kind of the main main things. Which is kind of this feeling of newness and excitement as you go through. Yeah. Uh, and then there's this relief, you know, you know at the end. Uh, and then you also have the theme from Jurassic Park. Nice name, appropriately <laughs> named. Uh, which I think is, you hear that it's kind of a slow, kind of majestic theme um, you hear throughout. Yeah. And it's a lot more peaceful. Yeah. And it, it's like just those two, because those are the two, you hear them, you instantly think of Jurassic Park, like mm. every time. And the first one is so adventure, right? You're going out seeking adventure. And the other one, um, the theme for Jurassic Park is this, it, it's just more peaceful. You know, it's more mellow and it's kind of an interesting choice. 
you know, for for Williams, John Williams to to have those two. Yeah, because there's be, like a nostalgia to that now. Yeah, the, the second one. But I think it'd be very easy to go all action, all excitement with that score, and the fact that he chose something that's more peaceful, more mellow, more not introspective, but it's it's just it's it's just it feels different. And so I think it's an interesting choice to do that for him. Yeah, the music is super deliberate in mm-hmm. this because there's a lot of places where there's not music, like like the the T Rex scene. Like yeah. you're just waiting, which only adds to it because you're like, I don't know what I'm supposed to be feeling yeah. here. There's just nothing, and then all of a sudden you hear the goat bleeding, and then you <laughs> then you hear the thump. Mm-hmm. You're like, it's the power transfer. No, it's something else. Yeah. So that be you know being you know restrained in the music too is another you know underappreciated thing for Williams. I think sometimes his lack of you know choosing to not put music in places. When I also think that it emphasizes, it's a magnifying glass on the sound that is there. Because one thing that we talk about is uh, sometimes you see with your ears in movies, like your your attention is drawn by what is making noise. So if you are sitting in a cafe, but you hear the outside, that's what you're focused on. If you hear the inside of the cafe, that's what you're focused on. And so when you don't have that music, which is kind of your emotional cue for the audience, you're kind of left with like, what do I hear? Which is, again, it's kind of mirroring what the characters are feeling, right? They don't have music. They're, you know, heightened danger. They're, they're trying to figure out what's going on. So kind of a, a nice little connection that we have as audience to the characters too. Yeah. Another thing with that too, I had under vocal sounds, you know, you mentioned the DNA video. Uh, which is kind of a meta way to explain things to us and mm-hmm. also to the to the characters. You also have the exposition going on in the in the jeep uh, as they drive around, which is it's interesting a little bit. We're getting to find out what dinosaurs are supposed to be there, but it, there's no payoff for it, and so it kind of serves the purpose of exposition, but also it sets up the disappointment that we're not seeing them. So we're looking around, we're looking around, and then it doesn't happen. There's nothing. We look around and look around, it doesn't happen. So when it finally does. You know, it kind of you're like, but I didn't get a clue that it was going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. What did you think of the performances? Well, I mean, as I alluded to earlier, I, I think that they're great. I, I mean, I when I saw this movie the first time, I don't know if I was familiar with Jeff Goldblum. I, I hadn't seen... Um, uh, who's the one that plays Alan Grant? Oh, Sam Neill. I hadn't mm-hmm. seen Sam Neill in anything, so I didn't know who he was. And so I think that probably just kind of washed over me a little bit. Now I watch this and I, again, we're talking about reaction shots. Like I feel like they are some of the best special effects in the film. <laughs> they, they're the, the ones that, yeah, the actors yeah. are, they, they, they pull us in be, by their reactions to it. And I, I love the witty banter between them. Um, I, I feel like they believe it. They, that they're actually seeing dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like anybody is, you know, it'd be really easy to slip into melodramatic with this, mm-hmm. but it feels, it feels real. And, you know, I think their performances are just enough. There's some a little bit wacky. I mean, Jeff Golden's character is obviously a little, a little off, but a little the, over the top, but that's kind he's, of he's, like meant. It's like, Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know, they feel like they're all totally in the pocket. Uh, one of, one of the moments I noticed this time around was when they first see the brontosaurus, uh, and it's um, it's Ellie, uh, Ellie Seller, Alan Grant, and Richard Hammond. They all get out of the Jeeps, and they're all, like, walking towards them. 
And there's a moment where it's like a super wide shot where you see the dinosaur and you see the, the three little people. And uh, Alan Grant and Ellie Sattler are like hyperventilating. And you can kind of see that in their actions. And Richard Hammond just has his cane and he's just standing there. Where it's like even little things like that are showing like the amazement or the kind of pride that John Hammond has. Um, and I think I said Richard Hammond, but it's John Hammond. Um, yeah. But it's like you can see that like even far away in those wide shots, the, the physical acting that they're doing. Uh, I, I think the acting is all fantastic. And it doesn't get better, in my opinion, than the the kids screaming in terror at the T-Rex. Because I think that's perfect. The uh, wonder and amazement that several of the characters have when they see the dinosaurs for the first time. Those two are, are kind of the things that pop out in my mind as, like, bringing you right to that moment within the film. Yeah, I also really like the scene where they're they're having lunch and they really start getting into the philosophical discussion of yeah whether you should. You know, Malcolm has that great line about scientists being so preoccupied with they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. Right. You know, Alan Grant makes the comment about, you know, think humans and dinosaurs being thrown back together. We have no idea what's going to happen. Right. It really does, you know, it emphasizes kind of your point from earlier of like, this is not supposed to be a good thing. Yeah. Why are we continuing this? Well, and then you you have the different tensions like um, uh, Gerano, the yeah, Gerano, the lawyer. He's yeah, referred to as the blood sucking yeah. lawyer, and he's like, "Thank you." Right. And he's like, "You know, people will pay whatever we want for this. Like, we're going to be rich, and like for the the you know filthy poor's, we'll have a coupon day." And it's like, you know, you can see like his perspective. He's got the money bags in his eyes. Hammond is like, no, 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 no. This isn't just for the altruist. This is for everybody. So you can see it's like, okay, he has coming from this like altruistic, but ultimately like mis like misguided sense of altruism, right? And yeah. then uh, it's like you can just see that. And so it's like you can see the differences in the personalities and the like different character wants. And you can see that just in like that little lunch scene. So that's also one of my favorite scenes. Yeah, I think of Hammond just repeatedly saying to you know, spared no expense. Yes. As if that justifies everything. Exactly. Right? Oh, uh, money was going to finish, all, you know, we'll fix all of these issues. Doesn't really matter. He's like convincing, trying to convince himself that he's done the right thing. Well, he yeah. has it, to add on to that. He has that line all major theme parks had delays when they opened Disneyland in 1956. Nothing worked. And it's like, yeah, but the yeah, Pirates right. of the Caribbean didn't kill everybody. Yeah. So it's like, again, it's that misguided, it's not bad. It's not evil. I mean, I would, you know, you could argue the one evil person is the lawyer. Um, debatable. But I think, you know, yeah. it's like. He does run away from the kids. So, <laughs> so it's like, but even Hammond, it's, he's like, he, he's wrong. And he doesn't yeah. realize it. And so we've already kind of bled into the lines um, the, the acting is, I think, fantastic. I think the only thing I would add to that is that the, even the dinosaurs have a little bit of personality, which is, is really fun uh, when you get that in there. Um, did you have any other comments about the characters or did you have any other lines that really stood out to you? Um, you know, it, 
for some reason, this as just kind of speaking of characterization, there the exchange this time that I watched it that caught me was um, when when Ellie's going through the big pile of dino poop, <laughs> and uh, he step Malcolm steps away and he looks at Grant and says she's uh, tenacious, and Grant says you have no idea. Yeah, <laughs> just a great character beat there. Speaks volumes about their relationship, and uh, it's funny to see um, Malcolm interacting with her. He's way too <laughs> his lack of, lack of personal space just kind of slays me. <laughs> He's just touching her hair and taking her hand and just being. Oh, she doesn't seem to mind. No, so you know I think that's okay. Did you know that uh, Laura Dern was only twenty three in this film? I did not know that. Yeah. I she didn't know that either. older than that. Yeah, she, I did read she, something the other day about her, the 20 year age gap, right? Is that what you're referring to? Yeah. It, she looks, and not in any bad way, just the way she's like dressed is more adult looking, you know? Yeah. I always, sure. I always thought she was younger, but not 20 years younger. It felt more no. like a five, six, seven year age gap type thing, like mentor, student, close friend Agreed. relationship. Between yeah. her and um, Sam Neill's character. Yeah, I mean, that reminds me a bit of, like, Carrie Fisher in the original Star Wars. Like, sure. she's 19, and she doesn't feel 19. No. She feels like she might be 30, the way that she's just self-possessed that way. Exactly. I think it's that that self, the way she carries herself, has a confidence that doesn't feel like they're as young as they actually are. Yeah. Yeah, no no offense to Laura Dern. No, like, we don't no. say you look old. You're just you just feel more mature. Very confident. Yeah, com- there you go. Confident. Yeah. That I think that's what like ultimately that's what I'm trying to get at is like yeah. no, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry Laura Dern fans. No, she has agency, right? She yeah. absolutely is self-possessed and like she's not a damsel in distress at all. Yeah, exactly. You know, she even has that line to Hammond about, you know, we can talk about, you know, sexism and Yes. I mean, the, the situation's laughter, the fact, you know. <laughs> yeah, it addresses funny. it directly. Yeah. Uh, I do love the line, uh, clever girl, uh, right yes. before the, the hunter, I think Muldoon is, is yep. killed by the raptors. Yep. That's not fantastic. the one he's looking at, the yes. ones from the side, like yep. Grant predicted yep. earlier on. So that um, that's a great, uh, great line. I, lo- I like that character, though. So I was, I'm always oh, yeah. disappointed when he dies. Because he's, he's one of the few ones who sees what Hammond is doing and sees the truth of it. And to me, he's always the person who's like, you might think, how could you ever participate in something like that? Clearly, this was a terrible idea. And it's like, he's a good example of someone who has good intentions, who's probably thinking, I'm going to make this as safe as I can, right? And if I don't, they're going to get someone who isn't as experienced as me. And it doesn't work out. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Yeah, he is kind of like somebody's going to have to do it. I'm I'm the best option for this, right? Kind of thing, and he knows that when he goes into that in that jungle, there he's he's going to die. He feels pretty confident. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I I think he he's he's at least certain that's a very real possibility. Yeah. But uh, I do have to say that I pretty much everything Malcolm says is funny to me. <laughs> he, he's just larger than life. He's just being Jeff Goldblum here. Have you seen The Lost World? I have. Okay. And read the book. Yes. He's fantastic in that too. Yeah. I'm glad they brought him back. Spoiler alert in the book, which is really old, like 1990, Malcolm dies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Hammond's an evil guy, which 
I like this kind of misguided version of Hammond versus the I kind think, of megalomaniac. I think both work. Yeah. But I do like the misguided one because that also feels more true to reality. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Where it's like no one's just like a cartoon villain. He's like, it's not that you're not, you know, trying to do something good. It's just you're going about it the wrong way. Yeah. Fits with the theme too. You know, it's mm-hmm. kind of that whole, you know, the the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Yeah. Like you're just messing with things you shouldn't be. And so. Yeah. Yeah. Thematically, it's much more interesting. Yeah. I, I agree with that for sure. Um, I love the fact that he's all in white, though. That is kind of interesting. <laughs> yeah, you know that that's traditionally associated with he's a he's a good character. He's all in white. He's a you know he's a grandfatherly. You know he played Santa right around this time too, and yeah, on Fourth yeah. Street. Um, and Malcolm's basically just a rock star in black leather. Mm-hmm. He's a mathematician. Uh, yeah, um, and then one thing I really enjoy um, on later viewings that I never caught for the longest time is that um, little boy Tim. Has basically modeled his look after Alan Grant. That he's wearing like a blue shirt and khakis. Yeah, interesting. Just like Grant is wearing a blue shirt and khakis, and he even has like the little, um, like kerchief around his neck. And yeah, that. it's kind of fun. I never, never caught that, but now that you mention it, like I, re- I can see that. Uh, along those lines, uh, the little kid Tim, he's like a really important part of of Alan Grant's character arc. Of, of learning to appreciate kids, which fits in with the Spielberg, like, family movie type deal, you know? Mm-hmm. But I was always enjoyed that there is, there's more arc, there's more character development in this film. It's not just action, you know? And I think that's a little bit with the newest ones has fallen into that trap a little bit of spectacle without the same emphasis on character and development. Um, you know, and we're, we're not talking about those films, but uh, what, I, what I do mean to say is that I think the original Jurassic Park is this beautiful blend of both action and horror and family and relationships and development. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think you, you see that at the end too, where he's, you know, sitting there with the kids and he looks out and, and he sees the, the pelican it's kind of, he's got like at peace mm-hmm. about that. And it's kind of like, I mean, I look at that too, you know, that he's, he's so interested in like dead things and bones and, and you know, old dead things that he's not really into life and experiencing society, yeah. you know? So he's kind of opening himself up to, to those things because of, you know, having that near death experience. Yeah. I think that's a, a perfect reading on that. So, uh, locations. Um, a lot of it's shot on location in, in Hawaii. Yeah. Uh, my favorite factoid from this is that um, there was a hurricane that happened. Hurricane Aniki happened while they were filming this. And they, it's, you know, they lost a day of shooting, but also got footage of the hurricane and used it in the film. <laughs> that is fantastic. Yeah. Taking disaster, turning it into art. Um, it's a pretty stunning location. I mean, as far as like the location, it feels exotic, uh, without feeling alien. Um, you know, I, I just very topical, but I just saw the trailer for the new Avatar movie, you know, and that's very exotic looking. This very much is like, yeah, we're on earth. 
there's like the concrete steel, you know, kind of design where it's like, it feels very much like a safari park in a way, mm. you know, with Jurassic theme, uh, but it feels very down to earth. Like it could happen. And I think that's kind of a fun way to have approached the film. Yeah. I think about like that visitor center too. When you get in there, I'm like, if you've ever been to a theme park right. at all, like Disneyland or what have you, yeah. like that looks familiar. That feels like a place that you could actually go to, which only lends itself to how scary this is that if this was a real place, if it kind of feels like it could be a real place, mm-hmm. this, you know, this could happen. Uh, you already mentioned the the kitchen with the shiny surfaces, which is another just awesome, very sterile and cold place uh, that actually gets used for, you know, part of the plot device where, you know, she, it, the, the raptor runs into the mirrored image mm-hmm. of her, which is another fun little thing that happens in there. Uh, but that's on, that's, that's on a, on a set. That's, a, that's in the universal lot, but most of it is, you know, in a place that feels <laughs> like, you know, Isla Nubar. Yeah. Uh, I also always enjoyed the uh, the door handle line. They did that shot of the door handle. Uh, I'm put this under set decoration just because I really like the line where she <laughs> says, "Yeah, unless they figure out how to open doors," and then they immediately cut to opening the door. Just <laughs> brilliant. That's a little bit with the dinosaurs having a little personality to them too. Mm-hmm. Uh, up in the air ducts. I mean, that's a great use of set when they're dangling yeah. off the dinosaur bones hanging from the ceiling, like. That's what I mean by it. It's got a lot of action too. Like you can kind of see those action set pieces in most films. And yeah. it's like, yeah, it's it's got all of the thrills and it's got like uh, a message and it's got family. And, you know, just again, over and over again, it's it's kind of got everything you'd want from a film. Yeah. That big banner falls down. You yep. know, when dinosaurs <laughs> ruled the earth. Like on the nose. Yeah. This which, is a reminder. Which I'm okay with. Like- yeah, no, to I'm totally end, fine with the end of film. It's like okay, yeah, sure, yeah. I mean, it's it's a clever film. They can they can be a little heavy handed at points. Yeah, that's just fine. Um, some cool props in this one. Uh, I really like the the shaving cream embryo container thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that's fun. The mosquito cane is is cool. Oh yeah, yeah. Like like that a lot. Um, Samuel L. Jackson's arm. I put that as a prop. <laughs> I, I suppose. Yeah, I can yeah. see that. And then, of course, the only thing, in my opinion, the only thing that dates this film are the computers. Sure. Because they're super dated. But uh, to be honest, like, I don't even remember computers that ran those systems. Yeah. So I look at it and it's like, this be a parallel universe as far as I'm concerned. Sure. Uh, I also think that, like, the computer is the one thing that can kind of fade to the background because it's not really a film about the computers. No, not at all. Like, they, they play an important part. So it's like you definitely notice them, but you can kind of let them slide a little bit. Yeah. I do think like the shaving cream thing when it falls in the mud and it gets like covered up, is just like a nice visual way of being like, yeah, Nedry's dead. <laughs> That's gone. Uh, yeah. Kind of same with like the raptor claw when Grant like throws it away. He's like, I'm done with it. Mm-hmm. So uh, a couple nice little uses of, of the props. Yeah, definitely. Uh, anything else setting design before we move on? No, I, I think we talked about everything I wanted to cover. Yeah. 
I always forget that Samuel L. Jackson's in this movie until I start watching it. It doesn't have a huge part, but it's a memorable part. (laughs) Immediately recognizes his voice. Yeah. Yeah. Hold on to your butts. Um, You know, I mentioned before underworld building. I just had that it's, it doesn't feel like it's so outlandish. It feels like it could be possible, Mm -hmm. like maybe not tomorrow, but it feels like there are steps that could be taken from where we are here to, to that. Yeah. And I think that lends to the power of the message too. the fact that it potentially could happen. You know, it feels like this could be a real story. We also talked about um, Grant's growth mm-hmm. as a character. Do you think any of the other characters grew or is that pretty much, I think the rest of them fairly static in your opinion? Yeah, I do think the rest are fairly static. I think there's a lot of character that's revealed in the film. But I do think that's also different than development, you know? Um, I would say by the end of the film, I think Hammond has been disillusioned. So I think there's some development there. Although I think that kind of gets walked back with the second one with The Lost World. I can't remember if, mm. if Hammond sanctions that event or not. But I think by the end, he, you know, he's misguided and realizes that he was misguided. So mm-hmm. I, I think there's a little bit of development there. Yeah, you you mentioned revealed too, and I was I'm thinking specifically of Ian Malcolm, where he is yeah he's just kind of a snarky, smart aleck guy, and then you see him being actually very brave. Yeah, he he does care. Pulls pulls the T Rex away from the kids. Exactly. So it's not anything that is different than what we've seen. We just haven't seen that layer of him yet. Exactly. And so I think, you know, if you don't have that development if you at least reveal character, I think that's really important. That can be enough. So. Awesome. Okay. Uh, final thoughts then on Jurassic park. You know, honestly, uh, like I said at the beginning, this is one of my just 10 out of 10s. I love this film. I watch it, rewatch it, uh, every, every once in a while. And, um, it was, it's always fun coming back to it. I always forget little things and it's always fun to come back and visit this world again. So uh, not, not much other than that, other than just, I absolutely love the movie. Yeah. I wanted to mention um, that this is one I just, just showed in, to my film class that showed them the whole thing. And you know, we had previously watched uh, the first Harry Potter movie. We watched Rocky and we watched Superman, the movie and got kind of just mediocre reactions to both to all three of those and then when i told them we're watching jurassic park they all got very excited um which speaks to the staying power of it and you know to a younger generation that was not alive when this came out that this is the one that really grabbed them and i thought that was pretty cool uh and let them know that you know we were doing um jurassic park for the next episode and so i was tracking things along with them and kind of walking them through so Mm -hmm. Uh, that was kind of a fun experience uh you know jurassic park is made a ton of money. It's over a billion dollars at this point. Um, it won three Academy Awards, um, best sound editing, best sound mixing, best visual effects. Also not surprising at all. Um, same ceremony, Spielberg, you know, he made Schindler's List the same year. Same editor, Michael Kahn and John Williams all worked on that film. They all won Oscars for that film. <laughs> so it's kind of like he competed against himself. Yeah. Because I, you know, I think the rest of those things are phenomenal in this film too. Like the editing is great. And obviously the music is great. Um, but 
you know, what are you going to do? We get two great films the same year from Spielberg. Yeah, I do think Spielberg is is possibly the best director of our generation. Yeah. And it's kind of crazy to think Schindler's List and Jurassic Park, same year. <laughs> yeah. So my last thing I wanted to say, too, is just that speaking of Spielberg and his friend George Lucas, that this was a lot in a lot of ways, the kind of the impetus for Lucas deciding that, yes, I can go back and make the Star Wars prequels. And so part of the legacy for this film is is those films, mm-hmm. as well as having a whole generation of kids saying, I want to be a paleontologist. Yeah. Because that was definitely a thing that came out of this as well. Oh, for sure. I, I, I think, I mean, I can remember. I, and I think your, your little story about yeah, the kids this year, like people love dinosaurs. <laughs> like they just right. do. So as we close, we just want to say thank you so much for listening. If you would like to connect with us, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook. Email us at readingbetweenreels at gmail.com or use the SpeakPipe app on our website. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast catcher. We'd love to hear your feedback, and it really helps us get the word out about the podcast. And if you haven't yet, please join our Facebook group. It's a safe place to share your thoughts and discuss all things related to movies. And one last thing, our next episode will be a review of Attack the Block. Send us an email or voicemail about your favorite moments from Attack the Block, and we'll share them on the next episode.